0: Let's pray. Lord, as we look into your word, speak to us. Your word is your voice to us. And it's always near us. And I'm so grateful that in this church there is always a desire, a willingness, a hunger to feed on your word. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. My Lord and my God. In Jesus' name i pray. Amen. So when you're a preacher and someone says, uh, are you excited about preaching? I'd be like, well, yeah. Well, what are you gonna preach on? Anger. And I'm also gonna preach on being liable to the judgment of the fires of hell. But I'm excited. Who gave me that passage, Mark Barnes? <laughs> but it's truly wonderful to be here because the thing um, that is noted, that Bonnie and I noticed as soon as we, you know, every time we, we came here is that this church has a hunger for, for the word of God, truly. And that's really just remarkable. Not all churches do, um, but I won't get into all that. So it's just good to be here and good to preach. So where did we end? We ended at, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Unless your righteousness exceeds the, uh, that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So the Sermon on the Mount is about a righteousness that exceeds... That of the scribes and the Pharisees, okay? So when we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, all of us, we are talking about things that exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that's really important for us to realize. So Jesus is going to talk about anger. And if we can understand anger and how to deal with anger, our righteousness will exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So let's jump into the text. You have heard. Not that you've read. Not that Moses said. Not that it's in the scriptures. But you have heard. That it was said to those of old. Your version may say that it was said to the ancients. Both translations are good. You shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you. You have heard. You didn't read it in Moses. It's in Moses. It is one of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus isn't referring to what Moses said. He's referring to what has been taught down through the ages. This sort of tight, narrow focus of the scribes and the Pharisees who don't have a righteousness that's very deep. You've heard what has been said to the ancients. In other words, You've heard all the commentary. So what they would do is they'd say, it says in the law, and then they'd cite what everybody else says. This this Sadducee, this Pharisee, that Pharisee, all the teachers. And the problem is, it was all incomplete teaching. It wasn't a righteousness that went very deep. It was very surface, don't kill you. Jesus is concerned about more than that. He understands that the law teaches holiness. Right in the middle of the law, you get this passage. Leviticus 19:2. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's what Jesus is concerned about. Not did you get it right about don't murder, of course he's concerned about that, but there's something deeper, which is why he's going to talk about anger, because if you get anger, you're probably not going to end up murdering anybody, and if you get anger, you're going to move towards holiness, and that's not what the scribes and Pharisees ever got at. They got at just the letter of the law, did you do it or not do it? The letter's important. Jesus came to fill every letter, right? Every last word. But it's not just that. It's about the holiness that has to be part of it. So Jesus talks about anger. You've heard. And then he says, but I say to you. And those words saying, but I say to you, put him on unparalleled ground. Because mm, it kind of makes him, puts him in a real special place. You're not citing what everybody else cites. It really puts them in the position of the lawgiver, which puts them in the position of, well, God. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, that term brother is used in the Gospel of Matthew to mean biological brother. When Jesus calls James and John, it says they're brothers, biological brothers. But it also, if you look at all the instances in Matthew, it also could be a relative, could be a wife, could be a husband, could be a sister, could be a mother, could be a brother, could be an aunt, a father, an uncle. It could be a neighbor. Did we catch you? If you're angry at any of these people. Now I know this, speaking especially to young families. When's the time you're most likely to get angry? It's when you're getting ready for church. Right? Get the kids. I thought you were going to get the kids. I told you to get the kids. Oh, let's just get the kids. For crying out loud, we're going to be late to church. Let's get there. I'm trying to get there. I have to go to the bathroom first. Oh, my goodness. Did the kids go to the bathroom? No, they didn't for the fourth time. You're laughing, which means you've been there. <laughs> I know that because I've been there. Anger. Jesus is simple and he's clear. Everyone who's angry with his brother, with his sister, with his wife, with her husband, uncle, aunt, children, it doesn't matter. If you're angry, you will be liable to judgment pretty simple everyone here knows when they're angry am i right you know when you're angry when you get angry you get short that's one way you get people get angry if if i get angry it's going to be short yep nope okay <clears throat> sure yep okay be there got it okay That's it. That's my conversation. Ask Bonnie. She knows. Yeah, no one starts getting angry because he speaks in one word syllables. My father got angry. My father was a chairman of psychiatry at the University of Georgia. Well published. Very well recognized man. He almost sang opera. You know what it was like at our house when he got angry? It was loud. It was loud. I mean... You could almost feel that hair on your head blowing backwards, you know, like the cartoons when he got angry. But don't think that it's just that way because anger comes in silence too, doesn't it? Have you ever had the silent treatment? Everything okay? You want to talk about it? Sometimes you can't even find the person. Silent treatment can be anger, and the silent treatment can be just as brutal. Silence can oftentimes be a kind of punishment. I'm going to punish you. I can't talk to you because I'm angry at you. And then that term liable judgment is used four times. You'll be liable to judgment. In this passage, it's used four times. You'll be liable to judgment, you'll be liable to the counselor. And you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when we get to the hell of fire, we realize the kind of judgment that is being talked about. And it's the end time judgment. It's not a civil court. You're not going to be taken to court for being angry. Anybody here been taken to court saying, yeah, I want to sue him. He got angry at me. No, of course not. But there's going to be a final court. And Jesus is going to talk about anger. That you had with your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your children. So it's a final judgment. You'll be liable to the, to the hell of fire. And that term liable is an interesting word. And it's a hard word to, to, to translate. Uh, and it, it means this. That this is an actual definition from a Greek dictionary. And I work from seven of them. And it'd be in all seven. One who's held in anything so that he cannot escape. That's scary, isn't it? The, I looked at a number. I looked at by 30 or 40 translations. And, and the, uh, the Amplified Bible, I think, came up with the best one. Shall be liable to and unable to... Assist. They take liable and they just define it in the next sentence. Okay, so it's kind of repetitive. Shall be liable... And unable to escape the punishment imposed by the court. So, how about it? You want to get angry? Does anger suit you? Do you really want to go to court? I have been to court. I mean, nobody was suing me, but I mean, I was in college, I took a class, and we had to sit in court sometimes. Courts are scary places, they're scary places. Judgment. Liable. You're you're liable. You're you're in a place that you're not going to get out of. Or at least not going to get out of easy. And then judgment is crisis. I know you're saying Stuart misspelled crisis. You don't spell crisis with K. But that's exactly how the Greek word is spelled. You want to know what judgment means in Greek? It means crisis. It's a legal process of judgment, judging, and and, and judgment. It's it's scary. When you go to court it is kind of a crisis situation. What's going to be, happen? And I'm not going to get out of this. I'm not going to get out of this easy. Why did I get so angry? Why did I give him the silent trip? Was it worth it? Wow. And then Matthew, When time we get to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew kind of circles back. And this is what he says in Matthew 12. I don't know who has that passage, but here it is. Um, I tell you, on the day of judgment, yes, we're talking about, people will give account for every careless word they speak. How many careless words do you speak when you're angry? Probably a lot. Because when you're angry, you're emotional. When you're angry, you just say whatever comes out of your mouth. Whatever just seems to fit you. Whatever you think will put that person in their place. And it's never pleasant. And it's never kind. And it's never good. Anger. You have a sense of what it's like. You know you don't say good things. When you get anger, it can easily grab a hold of you. Anger becomes rage. It's hard to get out of. And rage turns to Bad words and rage and bad words turn to murder. And if you're not actually murdering somebody, you may be spiritually murdering them. Interesting story, true story. A man in Florida was jailed for assaulting another man. But, unlike most scenarios, The conflict was not over a woman, a debt owed, or even sports. According to a Facebook post by the Lee County Sheriff's Office, Justin Anthony Garcia was charged with aggravated battery in connection with an altercation with his cousin. Your brother, right? There you go, your cousin who sustained injuries from a pocket knife. Authorities and... I know what you're thinking. Get ready for this. And witnesses confirmed that was... uh, Let me start over. The county sheriff's office uh, charged him with aggravated battery in connection with an altercation with his cousin, who sustained injuries from a pocket knife. Authorities and witnesses confirmed that was an argument over whether... Almond milk was superior to whole milk. <laughs> Knife injury. According to official court documents, their verbal argument became physical when Garcia became enraged at the victim with disagreeing for him. He proceeded to punch the victim with a closed fist to the victim's left side of his forehead. When the cousin tried to fight back, Garcia produced the knife. The victim became scared of what Garcia might do, and the knife, with the knife, and proceeded to run away from Garcia as he chased the victim through the front yard. Over milk. Anger. How about this one? A 22 year old man from Polka. I put a woman up there because it can happen with women too, okay? Okay, that's right, especially a hockey mom. Okay. So I just thought I'd put it up there. Too bad Sharon's not here, right? (laughs) As an example, a 22 year old man from Polk County, Florida disagreed with the Empire and beat him up. Now listen to this more and more referees are leaving. A study conducted by the National Association sports officials discovered that adult misbehavior contributed to 75% of high school referees quitting their jobs. How did we get there? Anger got a hold of these people. I'm sure that they had words that we're not good. And Jesus says that. And then look what Jesus goes on to say. He says this. He says, whoever insults his brother. You see, so, so it just goes back to what he said in Matthew 12. Which was, I tell you, in the Day of Judgment, people will give account for every careless work they say. And here he says... Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. It's pretty serious stuff. That word insult is raka. A lot of translations just translate it raka. It, it's insult. It means empty headed idiot. I mean, they're not serious words, right? You empty headed idiot. You're good for nothing. You're worthless. You've heard people say these things, and that term fool just means obstinate, godless person, stupid, foolish. When I was writing this sermon, I happened to be listening to some politics, and I go, that guy's an idiot, and I thought, whoop! hard to watch politics not to have all this stuff come, come out. I'm sorry. It's just true. It's just hard. So I'll be liable to the fires of hell for politics. Fire that holds you that you cannot escape. So what do you think Jesus is saying about anger and holiness? But there's a way out. Anger is binding. And the judgment is binding. But Jesus offers us a way out. And here it is. He puts it this way. So, if that scares you, if you want to get out the bind that anger has, if you want to get out the judgment of the fires of hell, there's a way. So, if you're offering your gifts at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Wait, he's angry at me. But I have to go to him? Yeah. That your brother has something against you. Or maybe you've been the offender. Maybe you haven't been the offender. That your brother has something against you. Leave your gifts there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gifts. You see, reconciliation, the setting for reconciliation is worship. Isn't that interesting? You offer your gifts in the Old Testament at, in the temple, in a worship setting. And worship ought to, there ought to be a little alarm in us. When we start going to church, we ought to have an alarm. Is everything right, God? So when you're going to worship, try not to argue about how you're going to get there and who's doing what with the kids, and figure out is everything right. What's so interesting is um, I cannot preach if Bonnie and I are not 100% right. doesn't mean we've had an argument. doesn't mean she's committed to treatment or I'm giving her yelling at her or anything like that. Just I have to have things right. I'll say Saturday night, if everything's not right, I'll say, will you forgive me? I don't say I'm sorry. Sorry is the easy way out. Say sorry, but include the word, will you forgive me? When you say to somebody, will you forgive me, puts a whole different uh, exclamation mark to it. It's hard to do. Will you forgive me? Because it's an admission that I have sinned against you. Sorry is like, sorry I spilled milk. Okay, No, no big deal. Sorry, I you know I walked in something nasty on the trail. Get in here. Uh, okay, yeah, right. Okay, but when you say forgive me. It's different, and forgiveness reconciliation has to include that. What's really interesting is that word against. It's not a verb. It's not a noun. It's a preposition. You know what a preposition is. I. I had to take Greek to learn English, which is really true. I mean, I'm not being funny, but I really had to do that. So I describe a preposition. Bonnie and I describe preposition. It's what your boys can do at a dining at a, at a table restaurant. They can go under it. They can go over it. They can go on top of it. They can go around it. There are prepositions. They can do all of that, and it drives you crazy. It's a preposition. And this preposition can mean so many different things. But in general, it's an orientation. It's an orientation. It, here's what I mean. An orientation is like, uh, is, is how you're oriented towards your wife or your husband or your children. Are you facing them? Are things right? Think of it in terms of uh, an alignment on your car. If your wheels aren't aligned, what happens? Julius, what happens? Wear out, your tires. Wear out your tires. It pulls to the left, it pulls to the right. It's not right. The orientation is not right. Think of it like a, if you're not a car person, think of it as a picture on your wall and it's crooked. It's not right. It needs to be fixed. Something has to be done. It's not right. If you're coming to church and you have something with your wife or your children or your husband or somebody else, get it right. So a woman writes on the block, a very interesting thing, and this would describe a lot of, um, well, a lot of people. She says this, she said, my sister bought a new car that was loaded with high-tech options. The first time she drove the car in the rain, she turned on the knob she thought would operate the windshield wipers. Instead, a message flashed across the dash, drive car in 360 degrees, drive car in 360 degrees. She had no idea what that meant. And so when she got home, she read the car manual. She learned that while trying to turn on the windshield wipers, she had inadvertently turned off the internal compass. And the car had lost its sense of direction. To correct the problem, the car had to be driven in a full circle, pointed north, and then the compass would reset. So every time we come to worship, we are resetting our spiritual compass. And actually, it's a 360 because we're going to come in church. No, I have something against my brother or aunt or uncle or cousin. I'll leave my offering and I'll go and then I'll come back. It's a 360 because you have to reset before you can worship. You got to get it right. It's really, really important. And I want to look at just how important that is because when Jesus says this, he says, oh, oh, that's the picture I wanted to show you because it's how confusing cars can be sometimes, right? So it says there's four imperatives here that are really important. So imperative is like a command, right? So it says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and they're remembered that your brother has something against you, Leave. That's the first imperative. It means abandon. Just abandon it. Don't go and put it back in the refrigerator. Don't go and put it in your wallet. Don't go back and and put it where it's safe. Just abandon it. That's how important it is. Just leave it. Drop it. Go. Take care. Reconcile. That's what you need to do. is go and it doesn't just mean go it means go away go away from worship how about a sign at the front of the church doors that says go away we don't want you here you might need to reconcile first think that would be a big thing go away and be sure you're reconciled that's what Jesus is saying abandon what you have, go away, and fix it. And then reconcile, that's the third term, reconcile. And this form of the term reconcile is only used here in Matthew, but reconcile is used throughout the New Testament, and they're all from the same root word. And um, reconciliation is, is, has a long history. So, oh, I want to say that uh, immediately they left, that's that word abandoned. In in Matthew 4:20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Same word to leave. Okay. Um, But reconciliation in the fourth century, uh, sixth century BC, it was a common term meaning to change, to make something other than it is. And by the New Testament times, that word just simply meant to exchange. One thing for another. So almost the same thing for, for centuries it helped. That, that something's not right here and we're going to exchange it for something else. Something's not right and we have to change that. And that is so important that leave. Leave worship. Abandon what you've brought. Abandon your offering. And get it right. So I began thinking, well... What do we exchange in reconciliation? And here's just a few things that we would exchange in reconciliation. We exchange our pride for humility. Because when you go to reconcile, especially when it's not your fault, but you know something's not right. It's not my fault. Seth did it to me. It's his fault. When you're my relative, Seth, that's what you get from a preacher and I have to reconcile? Yep. So I have to exchange my pride for humility, and I've got to get it right. I exchange separation because when I am not reconciled, I am separated. Because that's what anger does. Anger separates us, right? How many of you want to be I want you to raise your hand on this one? How many of you want to be around an angry person? Okay, don't raise your hand. <laughs> well, probably not anybody. Even if it's your wife or kid, probably don't really want to say, yeah, I want to be around an angry person. I love being around angry people. You know? And so what anger does is separates. And so what are you going to trade when you reconcile what do you trade it for? You trade it for unity. You treat anger for peace. You trade sadness for what? Joy. Now, we come up with a lot of other things, right? Because that's what reconciliation does. It changes what separates us for what unites us. And that's what we're called to do. And it's super important. And then... The fourth thing that text said, then go offer what you have to offer to God. And Romans 12 says, we are a living sacrifice. Don't come in here thinking you're going to offer yourself to God and not be reconciled to your brother. Don't think that. If you're going to offer yourself, your body, your mind, who you are as a living sacrifice, as it says in Romans 12, first you better get that right better reorientate that relationship and get it right. One tell you an interesting story about a man, a true story about George Washington and a preacher, Baptist preacher, and a true story, and and none of this was his fault, but reconciliation was really important. Stephen Oldford who's a historian, tells a story about Peter Miller. Baptist pastor during the American Revolution. Miller, Miller lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. One of the dearest friends, one of his dearest friends was George Washington. And here's a picture of George Washington. In the town of Ephrata, is how it said, there lived a spiteful troublemaker named Michael Whitman. Who did all he could to oppose and humiliate Miller? On one occasion, he struck Miller in the face. On another occasion, he spit in his face. Miller endured it all with Christian fortitude. He never spoke a cross word to or against Whitman for his shameful conduct. One day, Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to death when Miller heard the news he sent out for Philadelphia in the middle of winter to plead for his enemy after walking 70 miles middle of winter East Coast Miller petitioned his friend George Washington to spare Whitman's life no Peter General Washington said, I had not, cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, exclaimed Miller, he's not my friend. In fact, he's the bitterest enemy I have. What? Prince George Washington, you've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant your pardon. And he did. And that day, Miller and Whitman walked back home to Ephrata together. When they arrived home, they were no longer enemies. They were friends. You see, reconciliation has less to do with who's wrong and who's right. It has everything to do with making... The relationship, right? Jesus concludes this section with saying this: "Come to terms quickly." So remember that quickly. Drop it right away. Abandon it quickly. With your accuser, while you and and here's what the term should actually be. It should be. It should say because this is what it says in the Greek: "You are, while you are on the road going with him to court." Not just you're going to court. On the road going to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and the guard be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. So on the quickly, we've already learned that, immediately abandon it, to on the road to court. You, Jesus wants you to take care of it before you get to the court. Get it right while you're going there. That's how important this is. Third, it can only go in rec- one direction. Anger and being not reconciled can only go one direction. Here's the direction. It's going to go to the judge, judge to the guard, guard to prison, and then you, to prison. you're never going to get out until you pay the la- very last penny. And that penny represents one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. I mean, it is nothing. But you've got to pay every. Last, single, one. Not a little, the tiniest little bit will not be overlooked until you pay your penny short, your penny short. But you will pay every penny. Reconciliation, really important. So is this sermon, is what Jesus is saying about anger? Yeah, is it about reconciliation? Yeah, because the way out of anger is Reconciliation. It's the only way out. And Jesus gives it to us. And when we do that, we're learning what it means to be holy. And our righteousness begins to exceed that of the Pharisees. I close with with this verse. For while we were yet enemies. You could say, while we were furiously angry with God. Enemies. We were reconciled. Oh. So, reconciliation is something that God does. Yeah, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. Oh, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received reconciliation. And aren't you glad that we have a God that thinks reconciliation that makes it right. And we're at fault. We're completely at fault. And there's no reason that he should do that. But he does. Because he wants to make it right. So one last verse is Philippians 2.8. 2, have this mind among yourselves. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. What's the mind we're to have? The mind of reconciliation. That was in Jesus' mind. Reconciliation. Have this mind among yourselves. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He left it. He emptied himself, taking on the form of servant, being born like a men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Okay. Takeaways. Anger has a progressive nature to it. That's why you have to be so careful of it. It always goes from bad to worse. It always goes from bad to worse. And the only way out of it is to reconcile. And when you reconcile, don't say sorry. Okay, say sorry. But include in your reconciliation, forgive me. Two, reconciliation is a proper preparation for worship. Don't come to worship if you're not reconciled. Okay, you need to come to worship. But it tells you how important reconciliation is. And I know there are families that some people haven't seen for years because there's no reconciliation. And, and sometimes you can't affect the reconciliation. You try and try and try, and they just won't reconcile. Your brother's just never going to reconcile with you. Your sister, your child, never going to reconcile. Not going to happen. Well, you need to be in worship. But you know how important it is. Three. If we don't, a price will be paid. A judgment that one cannot escape. And then, I wanted to add last point. I just forgot to do it. And here it is. Jesus reconciled us to himself. So we rejoice with Christ instead of being his enemy. We have an advocate when we fail Jesus reconciles us let's pray Sermon on the Mount is filled with really sayings that are hard but if we can grasp them it's holiness and God when we don't get angry at each other not only are we not liable to judgment that just binds us and holds us but, but we find freedom and, and we become holy people. And it's such a good thing. So as we listen in the next few weeks to the Sermon on the Mount, help us to realize, God, that it's about holiness. It's about becoming like you. And it is your mind. All the things you're talking about are the mind that you yourself have. We're so grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.